I'm Tom Bullock, and welcome back to Candidate Me. And for the record, I already know my fate. Candidate Me's fake campaign was designed to be impossible. My name could never appear on the ballot, and only a crazy voter would bother writing it in since I'm pretending to run for a seat, which I am, by law, unqualified for. But for dozens upon dozens of real candidates, Tuesday, November 7th, will be a stressful affair. A day of reckoning, followed by a night of simple math. It will begin at 6.30 a.m. when people, likely with coffee in hand, can first head to their polling stations to vote. And they will until 7.30 p.m. that night. Then the counting begins. Simple addition will determine the fate of campaigns and their candidates. Election day is an equation. Add up the numbers of votes, then sort by size. But it's also the sum of individual aspirations, months if not years of pondering, planning, and possibilities. So yeah, for real candidates, Tuesday, November 7th is a palpable mix of nerves and excitement. Unless they're one of the already lucky few. You're effectively elected. Has that sunk in yet? Um, yeah, I think to some degree. That is Democrat Larkin Eggleston, and you may remember him from an earlier episode of Candidate Me called The Political Fight for Little Charlotte. He defeated the incumbent in a September primary, and since no Republican entered the race for District 1, Larkin Eggleston will soon be sworn in as a new member of the Charlotte City Council, and he won't be alone. I was given this, this piece of information from former city council person, uh, Warren Cooksey, who's one of the most thorough people I've ever met in my life. So I take it as gospel. He says this will be the biggest freshman class on city council since 1999. Um, and if that's wrong, we'll just blame him. Larkin's assured victory gave me a chance to ask him something you never hear candidates talk about, especially just before the November election. Did anyone prep you on what you should do if you lost? Like in the moment or kind of long-term after like in the moment did you have a speech did you have two speeches in your pocket basically um or had you gone over ideas of what you would say if you did not end up the winner it was a very nerve-wracking night and we did not celebrate until the last precinct was in but um my biggest i think fear was having to feel some sort of sense of guilt for asking people to invest so much of their time money and effort into me uh and then that not paying off in terms of us succeeding in our goal. So um, that was the thing I was most worried about. Was there a moment where you were sitting there and you just thought, oh, crap? Uh, Yes, is the answer, because the vote count was close throughout the night. And while he was watching those numbers, nervously, a reporter called me while part of the precincts, like, two-thirds of the precincts were in and said, hey, I'm on a deadline and I need a quote. Can I get a quote from you that I'd use if you win? (laughs) And I was kind of (laughs) amused and I was kind of irritated. But it was like, you know, I'm in the throes of this like roller coaster of watching returns come in and I'm being asked for a victorious quote 
with the reporter acknowledging that it might not be used because I might not win. That was a, a kind of a surreal moment. I don't think I gave my best quote in that moment because I was <laughs> simultaneously confused, amused, and a bit um, a bit annoyed at the circumstances of having to give a victorious quote before I was victorious. And to be clear, that journalist wasn't me. On this, our pre-election episode, we're doing something of a voter guide. Candidate Me becomes Candidate Them. We have actual candidates for Charlotte City Council call in to tell you, in their own words, why you should pick them on Tuesday. We're doing something different with our political consultants as well. I let them pick just what we talk about, and they came up with a mix of history, curiosity, numbers, and campaigning. We find out the oversized role a women's fur shop played in the history of Charlotte politics, plus a lot more. And there is a lot more on the ballot than just Charlotte races, which brings us back to Larkin Eggleston. He, too, has joined the throngs of folks who wanted to voice a negative ad about me. And I'm still trying to not take that personally. But since we are done with the ad episodes, I let him record this movie-style trailer of just what else we'll cover today. In a world divided by imaginary lines, there's a land outside the city of Charlotte. Okay, a lot of land and a lot of towns, places like Matthews and Mint Hill, Huntersville, Cornelius, Davidson and Pineville, and they also have elections on Tuesday for offices like mayor and town council. And what about candidates for school board? The drama, the races, the names on your ballot. Up next, we journey to the lands beyond the city limits to explore those races and more. You're listening to Candidate Them on Candidate Me. Now, before we officially turn Candidate Me into Candidate Them, I want to invite you to join us on election night. Tune in and call in to a live election special, which will be broadcast on 90.7 WFAE, the public radio station here in Charlotte. From 7 to 8 p.m. on Tuesday, I'll be hosting and taking your calls and questions about politics, campaigns, the real races, whatever. I'll be joined by WFAE reporters at campaign sites and also both of our political hacks, Democrat Dan McCorkle and Republican Larry Shaheen. So it should be fun. You can call us Tuesday night at 704-926-9323. And if you tune in, I'll be repeating that number a lot. I do hope you join us. All right, let's get on to our Candidate Them Voter Guide, where real candidates for Charlotte City Council call in to tell you, in their own words, why you should vote for them. Here's how it works. I asked each candidate in a contested race to call a voicemail and verbally fill in a Mad Lib and answer two questions. The Mad Lib portion is simple. Hi, my name is blank, and I may, insert political party here, running for blank. Then came the two questions. First, the most important issue for me is, and if elected, here's how I would fix or address it. The second question is this. If you, the voter, haven't made up your mind yet, this may help. 
Here's one thing about me that may sway your vote. We'll be peppering the responses throughout this episode. Now, to be clear, candidate me is not making any endorsements, and we're including every response we received. So if you don't hear your candidate, it means they didn't take part by the deadline, or they're not facing an opponent on Tuesday. Sound good? All right, then. Leading us off are three candidates for an at-large seat on the Charlotte City Council. Democrat Julie Eiselt, Republican John Powell, and Libertarian Stephen D. Fiore. Hi, my name is Julie Eiselt. I'm a Democrat, and I'm running for re-election for a second term to the Charlotte City Council at-large. The most important issue for me is the intersection of public safety and workforce development. If elected, I would address this issue by continuing to fund our Project Peace program. People with the highest barriers to employment are the ones that are most likely to end up on the wrong side of the criminal justice system. And that's especially true for our youth. That's why the city put a million dollars into training people that have the highest barriers to placement and and matching them with employers. I've been working with school board members to look at how the city can play a role in developing a vocational training program for high school students. Good paying jobs and a productive workforce reduces crime, provides educational options, It makes housing more affordable. If you haven't made your mind up yet, here's one thing about me that might sweat your vote. I spent my career in finance and banking, and I do this job 40 to 50 hours a week. With five or six new council members who work full time, it's important we have fresh voices, but we need to balance that with experience, given the complicated and challenging issues that face our city. Hi, my name is John Powell, and I'm a Republican runner for Charlotte City Council at large. The most important issue for me is public safety, the cornerstone for economic development and upward mobility in our city. If elected, I would fix this issue by supporting our police and supporting our community by building trust. Without trust from both sides, we have anger and fear, a dangerous recipe for any metropolitan area. I will continue to work with Chief Putney, CMPD, communities, and community leaders by reviewing our cultural diverse training, upgrade civil service requirements, and justly pay our police officers. Together, we must right this ship. Without a sound and steady course, we cannot build upon a foundation to bring job opportunities to all Charlotteans, from entrepreneurialism and small businesses to corporations. If you, the voter, haven't made up your mind yet, this may help. Here's one thing about me that may sway your vote. I ran two years ago for the same office and lost by a small margin. The pledge I made to myself, my wife, my team, in all Charlottesians was that I was going to stay involved and engaged. I never went away and continued to prepare and learn. I'm here to listen and serve all Charlottesians. I am the leader you need on Charlotte City Council. I am John Powell. Thank you. Hi, my name is Stephen DeFiore, and I'm a libertarian running for city council at large. The most important issue for me is economic development. If elected, I would address this issue by working with my fellow city council members and the county commission to update our zoning codes. I believe that a one-size-fits-all approach to zoning won't work for a city as diverse and expansive as Charlotte. Local communities need more say in how their neighborhoods develop, and more simplified codes will foster local development and promote economic growth. If you, the voter, haven't made up your mind yet, this may help. Here's one thing about me that may sway your vote. As a libertarian, I have a lot of overlap with both the Democrats and Republicans, and I believe our party can be a bridge across the partisan divide. 
Our city deserves more than two points of view at the table and policy is discussed. I can offer a third way forward for the people of Charlotte. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. We'll have more at-large candidates and district candidates coming up. But first, let's cross over those imaginary lines because, as our makeshift Mr. Movie announcer told us, There's a land outside the city of Charlotte. Okay, a lot of land and a lot of towns. My next guest knows a lot about those mystical lands. He, like me, lives there. It's time to look at some of the more interesting races in the suburbs. Several towns will get new mayors this fall after current mayors retire. Some mayoral candidates will have a pretty easy time of it. They're running unopposed. But incumbent mayors in Davidson and Pineville are facing challengers. And there's been a lot of interest in town boards. Cornelius, Davidson, Huntersville, and Matthews all have 10 or more candidates for town commissioners. WFAE's David Borax joins me now to talk about all of this. Hey there, David. Hey, Tom. How are you? I'm doing well. So let's get to the races, and let's start with a big-picture question. How are these races different from, say, a big city mayor or city council like Charlotte's? So, Tom, all these races are officially nonpartisan. You won't hear me talking about Republicans or Democrats or independents. Sometimes political party does enter the picture, and some voters want to know about it. You can always look it up on the Board of Elections website. And there are candidates who proudly claim a party sometimes, though some old-timers really consider that bad form in a nonpartisan race. Well, let's talk about uh, some of the mayoral races for these towns. Uh, We have a few key retirements. Right, Tom. So Cornelius, Concord, and Matthews will all pick new mayors on Tuesday. Scott Padgett has been the mayor in Concord since 2001, and before that he served a decade on the city council. He announced his retirement this summer. So there's five people now competing to replace him. Uh, There's a longtime council member, Alfred Brown Jr. He's the son of a former mayor. Uh, Liz Poole, a former Cabarrus County school board member. Bill Dush, a tech entrepreneur who served on local government boards and commissions. And a couple of political newcomers, Anthony Weiss and Willie Clay. And in Cornelius, Mayor Chuck Travis decided not to seek re-election after two terms. You may remember that he was criticized by town commissioners last year for supporting the toll lanes on I-77, His successor will be current commissioner and Cornelius native Woody Washam, who's running unopposed. And, of course, there's also Matthews Mayor Jim Taylor, who isn't running again. What's going on there? Yeah, Jim Taylor's stepping down after eight years as mayor and a decade on the town board before that. So it's a two-way race to replace him between current town commissioner Larry Whitley and Paul Bailey, a former town commissioner who's now on the Charlotte-Mecklenburg School Board representing the 6th District. So Bailey is giving up that job in hopes of returning to lead the town. Whitley's a former state trooper and church pastor. When he was elected to the board two years ago, he became the first African-American ever to serve as a Matthews commissioner. Taylor has chosen sides in the race. He endorsed Paul Bailey. So with Taylor's endorsement and his experience, Bailey probably has to be considered the favorite. But with growth, there are some people in town unhappy with Town Hall, and Whitley could pick up some support from anti-establishment voters. But uh, Bailey also has gotten some negative headlines. He's one of the rare cases here where partisan politics enters the picture. In August, he had to issue a public apology for sharing a Facebook post that criticized Democrats. It was a picture of a little girl shrugging her shoulders with a caption that said, black people who were never slaves are fighting white people who were never Nazis over a Confederate statue erected by Democrats because Democrats can't stand their own history anymore. After the initial press about his apology at a school board meeting, we really haven't heard any more about this again. 
Okay, well, let's go north a bit and let's look at the mayor's race in Davidson. Longtime Mayor John Woods is facing a couple of challengers this year. And what are the key issues in that race? Well, that's right. Woods has been mayor since 2007 and he was a town board member before that. He's presided over the town through a time of difficult finances due to the recession and the town's purchase of the money-losing local cable system. But the economy is improving now and growth is returning, and that's causing friction. Woods' challengers are Lori Venzen, a former town board member who pushed to professionalize town budgeting, and Rusty Knox, a local musician and real estate agent. Over the past couple of years, Knox has spoken out against new developments on town-owned land. The three agree that growth is inevitable, but they have different takes on the subject. All right. Well, then walk us through them. Right. Uh, So Woods defends the town's efforts to control and steer growth over the past decade. He says the town can't stay tiny forever like it was when he was a kid, but he credits town policies for holding on to the small town feeling. And he argues that Davidson has avoided what he calls out-of-control growth in nearby towns. Rusty Knox comes from a family of politicians His father was mayor of Davidson in the 1980s and 90s. His uncles were mayors in Charlotte and Mooresville. He agrees that the town will grow, but he wants more controls, in particular restrictions on high-density development. Knox has the endorsement of Save Davidson. That's a group that was formed this year to oppose several new commercial and residential developments in town. And then Venzen is a former banker who served on the town board from 2007 to 2013. She thinks the town is growing too fast, but she also wants to see the type of development change. In a recent debate, she talked about how everyone loves Davidson's walkable downtown. She wants to push for more walkable commercial areas in other parts of town. Well, there's another multi-candidate race for mayor, but this one is in Mooresville. So what's going on there? Incumbent Miles Atkins is seeking a fourth term there. You know, he easily won re-election in 2015 with very low voter turnout. His challenger two years ago was C.J. Zethoff, who's back again this time. Besides Zethoff, there's two other challengers, political newcomers James Ritchie and Thomas Tone. As the incumbent, Atkins is the favorite, but Mooresville voters have a history of voting against town hall, so anything can happen here. Some voters still have a bit of heartburn over two major issues, the I-77 toll lane project and Mooresville's big debt on the 2007 purchase of the My Connection cable system with Davidson. So those are all the races for mayor, or at least the more interesting ones. Let's take a look at a few of the town commission races. We've already talked about the contentious race for mayor in Davidson. Is the town board as contentious? Absolutely, Tom. (laughs) Uh, You know, you know, there actually will be some change this time around. At least two seats are open. We have two commissioners not running again, Beth Cashin and Brian Genest. And then there are 12 candidates for the five seats. Three incumbents are up for re-election. Home builder Rodney Graham and lawyer Jim Fuller have both served three terms. Banker Stacey Anderson is in her second term. Uh, the rest of the candidates are political newcomers, mostly motivated one way or another by the debate over growth and development. That citizens group Save Davidson has endorsed a slate of three, David Sitton, Matthew Fort, and Shana Erber. Other candidates in the running are Autumn Michael. She's executive director of the Davidson Lands Conservancy. Jane Campbell was a retired U.S. Navy captain who ran unsuccessfully last year for the District 98 state rep seat in North Mech. Ryan Fay is a two-year town resident. There's an Army veteran, Michael Angel, and Sammy Weaver, a former Army reservist who works in financial services risk management. And you brought up again the group Save Davidson, and this has been a controversial group in this election. Explain why. Well, to put it mildly, the group was started by residents who objected to the town's plans to develop a wooded piece of property near their homes. The town owns the land and was planning to sell it to a developer for a park and commercial and residential buildings, including affordable housing. 
Since then, Save Davidson has fought against other new developments and has gained a big following on Facebook. This fall, they've been working to elect candidates for mayor and town board who share their views. So the group's Facebook debates over issues have sometimes gotten uncivil, and there's a little bit of a backlash among some residents. In late October, somebody filed a complaint with the State Board of Elections. That anonymous complaint alleged that Save Davidson violated election laws by failing to register as a PAC, a political action committee. It's been raising money for political activities, held a couple of candidate forums, and of course it's now working to elect the candidates it endorsed. The leaders of the group say the complaint is an effort to silence them, but since it was filed, Save Davidson has filed a campaign finance report. It shows they spent about $4,100 in October on banners, postcards, and social media ads. They haven't listed their donors yet. They've also applied for nonprofit status. All right, well, let's just move a little bit over on the map to the town of Cornelius. And the race for their commission also has a big field. Yep, uh, 11 candidates for five seats there. Current Commissioner Woody Washam is running unopposed for mayor, so that leaves his seat open. The other four incumbents are all running again, and they have seven challengers. Uh, the incumbents are Dave Gilroy, who's often the largest vote-getter, Jim Duke, Mike Miltick, and Thurman Ross. Uh, for challengers, there's businessman Dennis Billadu, uh, Ava Callender, a housing specialist and community volunteer, uh, Rick Stilwell, who ran for mayor 10 years ago, former town board member William Rakotansky, who's been active in the anti-toll movement, and business owner Tricia Sisson. Uh, most of the candidates say they oppose the toll lanes on I-77. Uh, two of the other challengers have actually been leading the fight. Kurt Nass is the founder of the group Widen I-77, and there's activist Michelle Frilato. All right, well, let's uh, let's take a look at Huntersville. And there we see a list of 12 candidates running for six seats on the town board. And what is that race shaping up like? Well, let's take a look back to 2015, Tom. Remember, uh, in that election, voters unseated the mayor and two town board members, and they shifted the town in a more conservative direction. There was a lot of unhappiness then about I-77 toll lanes and growth. Those issues remain, but we may not see such a big change this time around. Five of the six current commissioners are running again. Rob Kidwell, who was in his second term, decided not to run. The incumbents are Mayor Pro Tem and local farmer Danny Phillips. Uh, he's seeking a fourth term. Melinda Bales is also seeking a fourth term. Charles Guignard is up for a fifth term. Dan Boone and Mark Gibbons, who were elected for the first time in 2015, are also running again. The seven challengers are uh, landscaper and newcomer William Hagler, newcomer Brian Hines, Aaron Hintz, a diving coach and a newcomer to town politics, Jonathan Hudson, who ran for state Senate in 2016 against Jeff Tart, another newcomer, Lance Munger. Uh, there's 45-year resident Joe Sailors, who served on the Huntersville Planning Board for a while, and there's Nick Walsh, who's lived in town for two decades and is a former Homeowners Association leader. WFAE's David Borax. Thanks. You're welcome, Tom. Now, one of the more interesting trends in this year's election is the rise of millennial candidates, Republican and Democrat. So here are three of them, all vying for an at-large seat on the Charlotte City Council. Republican Parker Keynes, Democrat Dimple Ashmira, and Democrat Braxton Winston. Hi, my name is Parker Keynes, and I'm a Republican running for Charlotte City Council at large. The most important issue for me is public safety. If elected, I would address this issue by fostering a mutual trust between the community and government, as well as our public safety officials. And I believe that the government needs to take the first step in offering that accountability before we find ourselves in a completely untrustworthy situation uh, between the people and our government. If you, the voter, haven't made up your mind yet, this may help. Here's one thing about me that may sway your vote. 
I promise to put Charlotte first. Instead of putting us in the international headlines for embarrassing issues, I'll only focus on the issues that are focused around Charlotte's growth, opportunity, public safety, and transportation, the things that matter to the people that live here. Thanks for your time. Hello, my name is Dimple Ajmera, and I'm a Democrat running for Charlotte City Council at large. The most important issue for me is economic mobility. Currently, Charlotte is ranked 50 out of 50 when it comes to upward mobility, which means if child is born in poverty, has only 4% chance of coming out of that poverty. So if elected, I would address this issue by spreading jobs and economic opportunities throughout the city, by advocating for businesses to move to East and West Charlotte, and investing in our workforce development. Also, by planning a comprehensive public transportation plan so our residents can get to and from work in an efficient manner, and also by increasing the bond referendum for affordable and workforce housing so everyone has a safe place to live and raise a family. And last but not least, promoting safety and stability in every neighborhood through community policing. Moving on to second question, if you have not made up your mind yet, this may help. Here is one thing about me that may sway your vote. Having worked as a CPA for Fortune 100 Financial Services Company, I come with strong financials background, so you are in good hands when it comes to managing your tax dollars. Also, I am humbled to have been endorsed by former CEO of Bank of America, Mr. Hugh McCall, Black Political Caucus, firefighters, and many, many more. Please check out my website for more information, dimpleajmera.com. Thank you. Hi, my name is Braxton Winston, and I am a Democratic nominee running for Charlotte City Council at large. The most important issue for me is the lack of upward economic mobility for too many Charlotteans. Uh, if I am elected, I would address this issue by fighting for a more equitable, accessible, and interconnected Charlotte. Um, equity, I believe, starts at work with good-paying jobs that provide career paths and benefits. Uh, plus wages that families can thrive on so parents don't have to decide between getting a new gig or being present in their children's lives. And then I think uh, that goes uh, transfers to the home. We need more people that are home secure and able to live in neighborhoods where more people uh, are living amongst each other that are different, uh, close to jobs and services. And we have to make sure that those folks are able to access the city, whether that be physically or through uh, technology. Um, if you, the voter, out there have not made up your mind yet this may help here's one thing about me that may sway your vote and it's my view on equity um, equity is different than equality equality means that we can all live on the same block while equity means that we are all able to own a piece of that block so as uh, that block uh, increases in value uh, we gain wealth uh, from that uh, that's the main objective here in Charlotte and I think in America that we all own a piece of this great pie and uh, participate in this great experiment of, of self-rule. So that's why I'm doing this. I'm Braxton Winston, and again, I'm your Democratic nominee for Charlotte City Council at large. Thank you. Make sure you go out there and vote, y'all. Bye. Up next, we talk districts for Charlotte City Council and Charlotte Mecklenburg School Board. You're listening to Candidate Them. 
There's a great thing about working at a radio station. I don't have to do all the work. So when I was looking for the right people to walk us through the races for school board and the proposed bond to build more schools, I just had to peek over my cubicle walls to find the right pair. Here's Morning Edition host Marshall Terry interviewing reporter Gwendolyn Glenn about all things education on the ballot. November's election will mean big changes for the CMS school board. At least a third of the school board will be new since three incumbents aren't running. This year, there are several contentious issues in the mix, such as the district's new student assignment plan and the nearly $1 billion school bond referendum. WFAE's Gwendolyn Glynn joins me now. Uh, so how many candidates uh, do we have? There are 19 candidates vying for six district seats. Residents will vote for one candidate from their district only. Now, the school board has three at-large seats, but those elections won't be held until 2019. Only three of the school board candidates are incumbents. Uh, who are they and who is not seeking another term? Rhonda Lennon is seeking re-election in District 1 in North Mecklenburg, Thelma Byers-Bailey in District 2 in West and Southwest Charlotte, and Ruby Jones in District 3 in the northeast part of the county. Tom Tate, Eric Davis, and Paul Bailey, who represent districts in the east and southeast parts of the county, respectively, are not running this time around. Uh, Now, the ballot also includes a $922 million bond referendum to renovate and replace several schools. Where do the candidates stand on that? Well, the bond package will pay for the building of 17 schools and renovations and expansions at 12 others. Two District 1 candidates oppose the bond. They are incumbent board member Rhonda Lennon and newcomer Jess Miller. The bond plan has received lots of opposition in North Mecklenburg. The commissions of Huntersville and Cornelius took a vote against it, as did the Lake Norman Chamber of Commerce. like those groups, Lennon and Miller, say the bond did not provide enough money for District 1. They both say the bond doesn't take into account the growth the district has experienced, and they disagree with the way CMS determined which schools were overcrowded and needed new buildings or additional classrooms. The third candidate in District 1, Annette Albright, a first-time candidate and former CMS employee, supports the bond and says improving school buildings is a good investment. And how do candidates in other districts uh, view the bond package? Well, they support it, but Queen Thompson, a retired social worker and CMS counselor, has concerns. She's running in District 4, that's eastern Mecklenburg County, and she worries that the district is too focused on building new schools and not enough on improving student achievement. Uh, CMS's new student assignment plan will bring the most change to District 5 next year. What do candidates there uh, think of that plan? Yes, that district includes two elementary school pairings, Dilworth and Sedgeville, just south of Uptown and Cotswold and Billingsville, east of Uptown. First-time candidate Margaret Marshall says that helped relieve overcrowding, but says the changes were communicated poorly. Jim Peterson, also a first-timer, didn't like it. He calls himself a believer in the value of neighborhood schools instead of, quote, trying to ship students around. And Jeremy Stevenson, who ran for an at-large school board seat in 2015, says student assignment isn't an effective way to help struggling schools. And where do candidates in other districts stand on the uh, student assignment plan? Some are more supportive of it than others, but I'd say just about all of them have problems with it. In Western District 2, which includes several schools with high concentrations of poverty, incumbent Thelma Byers Bailey says the plan doesn't go far enough and still leaves Charlotte's neighborhood schools segregated. Her only opponent, newcomer Lenora Ship, agrees with her. Now, in District 4, candidate Carol Sawyer is a longtime education advocate who pushed hard to create more social economic balance at schools.
She supports the plan but says it did not go far enough on that or in increasing magnet programs. Stephanie Sneed, an attorney who supports the plan, says it will ease overcrowding in some schools. And Queen Thompson, who is running for school board for the third time, says she's concerned it's not sufficient to provide students with a quality education. Gwen, are there any specific races that are particularly interesting? District 3 in Northeast Charlotte is notable because there are six candidates running. Incumbent Ruby Jones was appointed to the board three years ago. Two of her challengers have run for school board before. On the issues, there aren't many major distinctions between the candidates. They're pretty much in agreement that CMS schools need to be more diverse, and the bond issue is a good thing. Now, for our final installment of the Candidate Them Voter Guide, We focus on those seeking to represent a specific district on the Charlotte City Council. And if you need to find out which district you're in, go to the Mecklenburg County Board of Elections website and you can quickly find that out. And remember, if you don't hear your preferred candidate, it's because they didn't call in before the stated deadline. And yes, I did send reminders, plural. The District 1 race is all sewn up with Democrat Larkin Eggleston's win in the primary assuring his place on the council. But District 2 is another story. Democrat Justin Harlow did not call us, but his Republican opponent did. Hi, my name is Pete Givens. I'm the conservative Republican candidate running for Charlotte City Council in District 2. The most important issue for me is in our District 2, to revitalize this district. I'm running to represent District 2 on City Council because I want to be the ears that will listen and the voice that will speak for all residents and business owners that call District 2 home. Over the past two years, our current City Council has refused to listen and represent the wishes of Charlotte's citizens when hundreds of voices and thousands of letters implored City Council to vote down one particular issue The council chose to listen to a select few, voting their wishes instead of representing the majority. The results of city council's decision cost Charlotte millions of dollars while tarnishing the reputations of our great city and our state. The whole of District 2 deserves focused, prioritized attention to advocate for improvements and progress that matches that of other areas of Charlotte. I will meet with and work with the community leaders throughout District 2 to conduct a needs assessment of our neighborhoods. And I will represent the needs of our citizens. I will promote community involvement to reduce the continually escalating crime overtaking our city. I promise to be a visible, approachable, and an active person to represent District 2 on Charlotte City's Council. We heard back from both candidates on the ballot for District 3. They are Democrat Luana Mayfield and Republican Daniel Herrera. Hi, my name is Luana Mayfield, and I'm your Democratic candidate running for re-election for City Council District 3. The most important issue for me is equity. If elected, I would fix or address this issue by continuing what I was able to start as Chair of Housing and Neighborhood Development. I was appointed by the mayor in January of 2017, so for 10 months in this short time, We've created a targeted rehab program to help people stay in their homes by doing some repair work and helping to stabilize, as well as approve the largest funding amount in the history of the Housing Trust Fund, almost $21 million between five projects that's going to have true diverse price point housing in it. 
If you, the voter, haven't made up your mind yet, this may help. Here's one thing about me that may sway your vote. Hopefully you already know that I am a progressive Democrat, but I hope you also see that I fight for equity across the board. I believe that we need to have true diverse price point housing as well as access to jobs and small businesses, specifically minority women small business enterprises to have true opportunities in Charlotte. I want you to know that I fight for my community at large, and your support will keep me in a position as your district rep to continue that. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. LaWanna Mayfield, Charlotte City Council District 3. Hi, my name is Daniel Herrera, and I am your Republican candidate for Charlotte City Council in District 3. The most important issue for me is crime in District 3, and we cannot talk about crime without first attacking poverty. Uh, they both go hand in hand. The truth is, District 3 has a higher crime rate, and it's actually more disproportionate than the rest of the city. It's because we tend to be a low-income area. If we can bring high-paying jobs, not just minimum wage jobs, but jobs that we can actually uh, uh, support a family in, if we can start creating a business-friendly Charlotte, we will start seeing a better growth for District 3. And I'm the candidate who's going to do it, and not just talk about it. If you, the voter, haven't made up your mind yet, uh, this may help. Uh, here's one thing about me that may sway your vote. Uh, I'm actually the youngest candidate for city council. Uh, I'm 25 years old. Uh, I'm the son of two immigrants, born uh, first-generation American. And I have been so involved in our community. I've gone to neighborhood association meetings. I've uh, been involved in knocking doors. I probably have spoken. Chances are I probably have knocked on your door at one point. Uh, and I'm here to ask you for a vote. I think we have enough politicians. Uh, it's time we actually start electing representatives and representatives who are going to do something for our district and not just talk about it. The councilmen for District 4 and 5 were decided by the primary. Democrat Greg Phipps was reelected in District 4 and Democrat Matt Newton was elected in District 5. But down south in District 6, we have a three-way race. Libertarian Jeff Scott did not call in, but Republican Tarek Scott Bokhari and Democrat Sam Grunman did. Hi, my name is Tarek Scott Bakari, and I'm a Republican running for Charlotte City Council in District 6. Uh, the most important issue for me is crime, and if elected, I would address this issue with my five-point plan. Uh, one, we're $8,000 below the national average in officer pay, so we need to raise the salaries to a level where we're leading the national average. Two, we need to fund to ensure we have the best equipment and training our officers need. Three, we need to ensure CMPD from the top to the bottom has the air cover from city council, restoring employee satisfaction and retention, as well as providing proper crisis management and communication during events. Four, we need to identify community influencers and further connect them with our officers to increase their impact. And five, we really need to promote all the good things in a proactive and ongoing communications campaign rather than only when bad things happen, to raise up the men and women who are putting their lives on the line every day. Uh, if you, the voter, haven't made up your mind yet, this might help. Here's one thing about me that might sway your vote. It's widely predicted that my field and profession, fintech, which is financial technology, uh, it's going to displace a third of all traditional banking jobs over the next decade. And we have 65,000 financial services professionals here in Charlotte. This could be Detroit-like ramifications, but the good news is we have time to proactively get ahead of this trend, and I'd like to be a part of that solution. Hello. My name is Sam Grundman, and I am your Democratic candidate for Charlotte City Council, District 6.
The most important issue for me is traffic. If elected, I will address this issue by working to make our city truly walkable. When our city becomes truly walkable, we can expand and improve public transit in a cost-effective manner. And we give people the ability to move around, get to work, go to lunch, make quick shopping trips without driving, without stressing in traffic, without clogging our roads and highways. And our city becomes more affordable as everyone can get to good-paying jobs in a timely manner. No one likes walking through a parking lot. So vote for someone who can build the city you want to live in. If you, the voter, haven't made up your mind yet, here's one thing about me that may sway your vote. In college, I studied math and physics, and in the past few years, I've been working as a web developer. These fields are all about analysis, critical thinking, and problem solving. Now I want to take on Charlotte's problems. I want to work every day to make Charlotte a city we can all be proud to call home. Please remember to vote Sam Grunman, Charlotte, City Council, District 6. Thank you. Up next, we hear, well, here's the little I know. One wants to talk about early voting numbers. Do they predict a mayoral surprise? The other has some trivia, always fun. Our Republican Larry Shaheen and Democrat Dan McCorkle are back for our completely biased bipartisan panel, and I'm letting them take the lead on this. You're listening to Candidate Them. Well, this should be interesting. Our completely biased political panel is back. Larry Shaheen is a Republican political strategist, and Dan McCorkle is a Democratic consultant. And usually, I am in charge of coming up with the topics we discuss. But on this, our pre-election episode, I'm letting them take the lead. So, gentlemen, first of all, welcome Good to be here. Always fun. All right, Larry. Uh, I understand. I see you with a pad of paper with a bunch of numbers. Your laptop is up. You, I'm guessing, want to talk about some... Early voting. There you go. Early voting. So um, the, the fun part about early voting is that you can actually start to tell trends when you dig into the absentee data. Um, because what happens, and this is... For everyone who is called, I'm going to start telling you to just listen to the podcast because I'm not going to tell you how to do this again. <laughs> um, when you dig through that data, you have to understand the historical context because just pulling the data out doesn't mean anything. It gives you a snapshot. You have to look at it from trending. But you have to understand the scoring, too, which our side is smart enough to do. You do. Well, we do, too, but I'm not talking about the scoring because that's confidential. I bet I know what Dan's going to talk about afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 15,810 votes in Charlotte. For what races? All races. Okay. okay. Have you? Has this been updated this, this morning? This is today. This is, okay. this is today. Okay. And today, well, today just so is you know, November 2nd. Yep. Right. Today, today is, November 2nd. is Thursday, November 2nd. And that's as, so this as data of, is as, updated. As, as of today, this includes all absentee ballots approved yesterday, and it includes all early votes from yesterday. So that's as, as of November 1st. So when you look at this, you've got – you split it up into three – there's two different pots that you usually want to analyze. The first is your – Partisan turnout. And in, in currently, we have 54% uh, Democratic turnout. We have 22.8% Republican turnout, 22.8% um, unaffiliated turnout. That is low, historically. Historically, uh, uh, Democratic turnout in early voting is anywhere between 58 and 
The well, party. wait, I'm going to stop about a Republican there. turnout. Yeah, and that, that's exactly what I was going to ask, Dan. So you are a Republican strategist. You yeah. know your side very well. That's right. So what is your Republican turnout? Is it low as well? It's high. How high? Uh, you're looking at about a 20% increase. But that's not the real story. The real story is the unaffiliated number. The, the unaffiliated number is up probably 80 to 100%. Huh. And if you look at the year-by-year number, you go back a couple years. I had someone send this to me because I've got a bunch of folks who remember the John Lasseter race from 2009. And how did that work? Well, but here's the thing, man. <laughs> and yeah. there's your answer. Here's, here's, here's the thing. <laughs> this race is mirroring the Anthony Fox, John Lasseter race. And the only reason that Anthony Fox won that race, and I think you'll agree with me on this, is the party came down, did a last-minute bunch of stuff against John. John was winning that race the whole way until the last two weeks. All right. Before you answer, Dan, and I do want your answer here, um, you're skipping ahead a little bit. For those who are just paying attention mm-hmm. now, and there are some, you're talking about the, the, the race for Charlotte Mayor between Democrat Vi Lyles well, and, and Republican, Republican Kenny Smith, Smith yeah. and you're comparing it with a race – uh, what 2009? It was this was this was eight years ago. Yeah, Anthony Fox is a Democrat who was elected successfully was elected mayor by by, by three thousand votes. That's the story. And then John Lasseter is a Republican who lost by three thousand votes. Both candidates in that race had a bucket of money. They did. That's why this is different. You can draw a parallel. I think Vi is running ads now, Larry. So oh, good for happy. you. A grand total of about twenty five thousand dollars. Woohoo! I mean, woohoo! Okay, remember. Demographics, Larry. I, I don't disagree. 54% so far have been Democratic. Now, are you looking at countywide or citywide? This is just citywide. Countywide, okay. we can talk about it. Yeah. Okay, so the natural demographics are 49 to 22 in favor of Democrats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Republicans I, has to get a lot, a lot, a lot of Democrat crossover. And the unaffiliated, I'm just gonna, not going to get into trade secrets, but the scoring so far shows the unaffiliates are Democrats. Majority Democrats right now, This is where we have to pull in the second demographic identifier. You have to pull in racial demographic identifiers. You know this as well as I do. Traditionally, early voting has more African-American – it's more than half is African-American. This year, 39%. Yeah, I'm not concerned about that. Um, this is a municipal election. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, it's been uh, – turnout. It, the turnout does look like 2013 to me. It does look like 2000. It does. It reminds you me of – You guys have not found a formula to win yet. And again, you're not going to do it with a extremely conservative Republican. The Republican slate is seven men, zero women. What's the number one demographic in Charlotte? It is females. And if you take the pie chart, it is African-American females. Mm-hmm. What is the average age of the voter right now? Oh, the average age is 59 and a half. Exactly. That is a democratic demographic. African-American females. But African-American females aren't making up a majority of the electorate, not like they normally do. I mean, you would think, and this is where for us we get into a little bit of horse trading. You would think you have, you, you've made a, you and I have talked about this, first African-American female to run for mayor. Right. African-American females aren't the, aren't the, aren't the largest demographic. They're the highest voting intensity we have. But they're not They will voting. be 90 to 95 percent democratic. They can outvote any other block. You have a white man. We're still going to have 35, 40 percent of the white guys voting Democratic. But nothing is overwhelmingly is African-American vote for Democrats and African-American female votes. All right. Now, we've just run through a whole lot of numbers. So I want to get a little bit of clarity here. 
Let's start with the breakdown by party registration, Democrat, Republican, or unaffiliated, for the city of Charlotte. Charlotte is broken down currently. There's uh, 551,000 registered voters, and they are broken down 47.6% Democrat, 21.1% Republican, and 30.6% unaffiliated. Okay, stop there, and let's go back to your early voting numbers. Percentage by party. Mm-hmm. Your, your Democrats are 54%. Okay. Your Republicans are 22.8%, okay. which is higher than the registered total. Unaffiliated are at 22.8%. All right. So Democrats and Republicans are out currently with early voting outperforming their demographic. About 6% on the Democratic side. Yeah. Right? It yeah. used to be much higher. It, you got to look back in historically. You got to look at the historical number. Okay. So here's the other thing, though. And he does have a point here, mm-hmm. Dan. Democrats tend to use early voting. Republicans mm-hmm. tend to go on election day. Right. Is this enough of a cushion, do you think, or – are we starting to see that this race between Phi Lyles and Kenny Smith could be Next couple days are important. I always uh, tell my candidates uh, early voting, the first day is your activist day, normally at one location like Hal Marshall this time, kind of dips a little bit, starts building. I always say the peak of early voting is between that Wednesday and that Saturday, which we are in right now. Yeah, he's, he is so what happens the last couple of days is very important. Now, Saturday is kind of deceiving. There'll be a line there because we're only open three hours on Saturday for early voting. Awesome. Uh, I'm curious to see what happens today and Friday, especially at uh, Beatty's Ford University, traditional Democratic areas. Um, one thing I understand as well about who's voting early at those locations, uh, Beatty's Ford University – Overwhelmingly Democratic. You get down to uh, South Park and South Branch. Sure, it's Republican, but you get a lot of Democrats voting there, too. It's not overwhelming like in the corridor and university area. So a lot of math, a lot of pen to paper the next couple of days. And then it looks like the weather is going to be fantastic on Tuesday. So um, we'll see what the turnout ends up being. I'm still looking at somewhere close to 20 percent. I think Larry probably wants it 10 percent or something like that. No. (laughs) Larry, basically what you're getting at here is you think there's going to be – I'll call it an upset since, again, Charlotte is a – has a plurality of Democratic voters. You think Kenny Smith is going to win now? I do think Kenny Smith is going to win. How uh, confident are you in that? Uh, at this point, I'm anywhere between 70 to 80 percent. All right, Dan. You still what did think he say? 70 to 80 percent. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I can't even – that's one of those things where you can't find the word sh- shaking my head type thing. Um, <laughs> that would be uh, – you're talking about a, a, an upset that we haven't seen probably since 1987 when Sue Myrick beat Harvey Gant. Yep. Okay. We'll see, Larry. We will. Last time you won was 10 years ago. <laughs> All right. And we're going to stop on this topic there. I'm going to let him have yep. the last word because you had the first word, Larry. Um, but this moves us into another thing you told me you wanted to talk about, which is, fittingly, the tone of the campaign. Yeah. So? Well, and that's the fun part. I want to actually ask Dan, because you and I had this conversation last, last episode, of what is negative and what is contrast. And I actually kind of want to ask you this. Do you think that Kenny Smith has gone necessarily negative? I think he takes – I think it's a tradition now amongst your party to take one shred, one tiny bit of fact – and blow it up into 99% hyperbole. Okay. And, um, you know, what can I do? I mean, your subgroups are out there being extremely negative with phone calls and palm cards, and you guys are not denouncing them, uh, whereas our groups are basically saying we want uh, equal rights for everyone. So uh, you can't compare Apple. You can't compare our groups to some of these voter coalition religious groups that are on Kinney's side. But this was my question to you. So, so you say that there's fact there. Well— this is the question, the part that I think – because I've heard Vi Lyle's campaign make, make, make a mountain 
out of, oh, my God, Kenny Smith's running a negative campaign. No, he's not. Kenny, Kenny is talking about issues. He's, he's contrasting his votes and his stances with the votes and stances of Vi Lyles. And if the mayor pro tem really has that much of a problem being called to task on issues that the voters of Charlotte overwhelmingly say by Spectrum News Poll, which we have commented on, say they are against, then does she have a thick enough skin to be mayor? Because at the end of the day, if she's not going to be willing to account for and answer for the positions and stances she's taken and can have a much thicker skin than Pat McCrory. Oh, we're not here to discuss that. (laughs) I agree. It's let's all, keep it. No, no, no. It's all Dan. history. It's that. all relevant. It's all history. <laughs> no, let's let's talk about this particular race. Yeah, we're not here to discuss that. But but, but I mean seriously though, they they just they just uh, basically are trying to make uh, Vi Jennifer, and we're trying to make Kenny all the bad things you guys have done in Raleigh to hurt Charlotte, and all the things you're doing nationally to hurt Charlotte. Dan, I'm going to come to you for your topics that you want to talk about here in a moment. But first, I am going to interject my own question. It's not actually my own. It comes from constituent Ashley, who writes, why is the campaign season so long? Other Uh counties have a much shorter election season. Gentlemen? I don't, you know, to me, it's, that's not accurate. You know, to me, it's short. We have a, we have a September primary and a November general election. Now, any good candidate will start preparing well in advance to raise money, get a good staff together, to start getting your strategy together. But to me... September primary, November general. Boy, that's that's actually a very short period to me. It's not like an, uh, a, a state or a, uh, a federal election, but I think it's a very short window here. You could have people filing in July, winning a primary in September, and, and uh, winning in November and being sworn in in December. To me, that's a very short window. It seems forever and ever and ever. Amen. But actually, <laughs> it's fairly short in, in, in my world. And Larry, I'm guessing you agree. No, I think it's gotten longer, and I think that's that, that's been. I, I think I think that the the technical question was, you know, what other counties? Mm-hmm. It's the same everywhere. That's that's the thing that I think everyone thinks there. It, it, it's a that, S- same amount of time. Ours just feels longer. Ours just feels. But, but here's the deal: we have two year terms. A lot of major cities have four year terms. Mm-hmm. Literally, you have less than a year to actually get things done. The next year is spent running for office. No, but there's perpetual always electric, there's, campaigning. There's, there mm-hmm. are some states. That don't have elections in, in in the in the odd years, and only have elections in the even years, and I can see where for some people that might be nice. But I've got to tell you, I've always been a, a fan of iron sharpens iron. We have some of the best elections in North Carolina, some of the most competitive elections in North Carolina, because the campaigns continue, and the, the people that practice them are constantly being. Uh, new things are tried. We're far more innovative. It, you're tried and yeah. true. You're tried and constantly and true. tested. Yeah. And I do want to give you credit for innovating a new way to say the word. Innovative. <laughs> right. Innovative. So Innovative. Let's, let's now move to Dan. And, uh, what do you want to talk about? Uh, yeah. I, talk I'm about Larry. Curious. No, you guys do that enough. I was already. a cheerleader. I, 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 a man cheerleader. Else? Yes. Is there it's, anything else? It's true. Well, I'm he so was, good at this job. He was a male cheerleader. I have a picture to prove it. <laughs> and it was great. I got six years out of it in the scholarship. So you went to school for six years at law school. I got I, I, oh, law I, I got two of those years of law school paid for because of cheerleading. Good for you. Yeah. Um, all right. So Dan, um, you sent me kind of an interesting series of questions. That's a lot of trivia. And oh, I don't mean, and, and this is something that you and I talked about before trivial. the show. It's not trivial. It's interesting points it's of history. It's historic. It's historic. And the first question that I want to ask you about that you brought up was, uh, when did Charlotte first start electing mayors? 
Strangely enough, now we've only had what could be considered a head of the city council since uh, 1853, and that was William Davidson. He was called the intendant. He wasn't called the mayor. The first actual person called a mayor was an interesting guy called William Owens. Now he got elected, oh excuse me, selected by the city council, so to speak, in 1861. Now Mr. Owens resigned almost immediately in 1862 to fight for the civil fight in the civil war. Huh. And he was killed in action in 1864. So the first person called mayor of Charlotte actually died in the Civil War in a battlefield. Now, for many, many years, uh, the city council would select the mayor, uh, basically the head administrator. We really didn't have the strong uh, city manager we have now in the in the administration. So the mayor for many years was this the chief administrator of the city council up until 1935. And a man named Ben Douglas uh, was elected mayor of Charlotte. So he was the first guy. And that wasn't, if you think about it, like 82 years ago. So 1935, that's when the first elected mayor of Charlotte took office. Right. Ben Douglas. And, of course, we know who he is. Douglas Municipal Airport was uh, finished construction in 1941 over in Morrisfield uh, Drive. And when I was a kid, it was Douglas Municipal Airport up until the 1980s. Huh. When I think an international flight landed accidentally and we became international. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Well, no, Charlotte, I mean, no, Dan, Dan's exactly right. I mean, the fact that we had a mayor at that time who was of the opinion, I think it wasn't just him. I think it was a number of other civic leaders uh, who who were just, one of whom was, was the Belk family, another was the Dowd family, another was Exactly. The- and a lot of streets and things are named after these guys. Now, also during Ben Douglas's term, which lasted till 1941, we built a Memorial Stadium. Uh, which was built a WPA project, also built in honor of our uh, veterans, war veterans. Um, and Mint Museum opened up. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing about Ben Douglas, the personal uh, contact I've had with him is he uh, he had something right now, you know where the double door in used to be? Yeah. Okay, right next to that used to be a place called Douglas Fur. He was a furrier. And my mom actually worked there in the 80s and 90s. Um, now the thing about Douglas fur in the back room was considered like a, a the real democratic headquarters of, of Charlotte back then, Charlotte Mecklenburg. Hmm. He was good friends with JFK, FDR, all these guys. Really? And so a lot of the things that happened in Ben Douglas's term, Brookshire's term, Belk's term, uh, a lot of that happened uh, initially in the back room of Douglas fur. Uh, because as you know, some of the other prominent mayors that, uh, that followed him. Let's think about you drive on 277 every day. You're mm-hmm. driving on the Brookshire, which is named after Stanley Brookshire, 1961-1969. Former mayor. Urban planning, transportation was was his big thing as being mayor of Charlotte because before that we were just a series of roads that uh, you had to really know where you were to get from point A to point B. That 277 was a major, major step in Charlotte well before 485 uh, to get people from to and fro in Charlotte quickly. Now, uh, Mayor Belk or John Belk, uh, really, really, that's when the Uptown started to thrive. Hmm. When and I was when a was kid, this was 1969 to 1977. If you had gone Uptown in the 60s, you would be mortified. In the 80s, it was bad. Yeah, I mean, it was none of the none of the major structures were there except the first first Union Tower, which is uh, which is a mere 32 stories built in the early 70s. But it was not a good place to be, not a safe place to be. There were probably only less than a dozen restaurants Uptown. Um, Green's Hot Dogs being one of them. Hmm. 
Hmm. Um, but really, that's when the major, major renovation started in Uptown and, and it turned into what we know today. Hmm. So between 1961, 1977 with Berkshire and Belk, uh, Charlotte really started to become the city we know it, know it as today. Uh, but it all started with uh, William Davidson back in 1853. So, I mean, the history of Charlotte is absolutely fascinating. Um, I'm always amazed that people don't know. They just think we just are here. They don't realize how rich the history is. It goes back to 1767. Yeah, you're, you're, you're leaving out you're – leaving, and this is where I think, unfortunately, that the folks of Charlotte kind of forget that there was you're, – you're leaving out a very important person there. You're leaving out President Pro Tem Tommy Lyon, who was President Pro Tem of the North Carolina Senate. And, Pre, and Tommy Lyon, as President Pro Tem of the North Carolina Senate, was responsible for helping start and work a large amount of funding to Mecklenburg County because for years and years and years, Mecklenburg was ignored. Yet yeah, when was his term? Uh, Tommy Lyon served in the 60s, right? 60s and 70s. Uh, we can... 60, no, he was President Pro Tem in the 70s. Yeah. And he served in the 60s and 70s. That could be a whole other show. The, the, the folks that started I mean, the bringing served... the... That start start bringing the bread to Charlotte. No, they get no recognition. Like Parks Helms, for None. instance, uh, was in the NC hmm. How, Senate, actually. He was in the Senate, and then um, he became county commission. Chief. And though he is controversial and actually went to jail, Jim Black actually brought a lot to Charlotte in his terms. And, well, and, that, and not just at steakhouses. That's right. It wasn't steakhouses. It was an IHOP. Get it right. Was it an IHOP? He took thirty thousand dollars in the bathroom. That, you can get pork chops at the IHOP, Larry. Yeah. Do you not eat at IHOPs, Larry? Well, no, I don't take. Pork, I don't take pork is not a steak, Dan. <laughs> which, which is the best part? You know, this is. You want to talk about trivia? You know the best part about that? What he did with them wasn't illegal at the time. He could take thirty thousand dollars in cash from the chiropractor. It was using it to bribe a Republican to vote for him for Speaker. That was what was illegal. And a Republican gladly accepted the money. <laughs> I, I, I don't even. Know. I'm just leaving that alone. And that is a wrap, on this episode at least. Depending on what happens, we may be back with another What Happened edition after the election. And don't forget to tune in and call in to WFAE's live election night special. I'll be hosting and we'll be hearing from our reporters. And yes, Candidate Me's political hacks will be joining me in studio as well. And again, we are taking your calls. So if you have a question we haven't answered yet, you've got a chance to ask live on air. So give us a call on Tuesday night. That number again is 704-926-9323. And we'll be live from 7 to 8 p.m. I'm Tom Bullock, and thanks for listening to Candidate Me. Now, get out there and vote.